Okay, we were talking about miracles, and uh, I would say those of you who know Dora, and consider the last four or five years, Dora is a miracle. Amen. And Dora, we appreciate what we see God doing in your life, and it's an encouragement to our faith of uh, the trials and things that you're going through, and then how you're sharing how God is doing a work. And uh, talking about uh, the miracle of provision, I just want to, again, address uh, just what we're going through in our class about um, overcoming emotions that destroy and I hope you are getting in touch with deep-seated anger and frustration in your life, whatever you want to call it, so that you might experience God's presence and power to set you free. Again, I found myself in my garage Friday night uh, just extremely angry. Oh, extremely angry, extremely angry. Getting in touch with the emotions of my, angry from, my anger from the past. And I so loved last week about talking about being angry, and then he, he talked about backtracking and identifying the cause of your anger and then trying to make those amends. And when you think about our life as a Christian, it's a lifelong process. I think of old Moses, you know, and all that he went through. And at 80 years old, after he was uh, ran for his life, after he took things into his own hands and tried to make something happen, he's on the backside of a desert, and in God's timing, God says you're ready, and God sends him back into Egypt to bring the deliverance of the, God's people. And even them, in that process of them coming out of Egypt... God was working on them, trying to help them restore their emotions and that anger that had built from generation to generation as they were in bondage of Egypt. And so I want you to settle in your mind that it's going to be a lifelong process of you walking through uh, the emotions and the things that have happened in your life so that God can transform those emotions and those experiences in your mind so that you can have a real Christian life. And it's interesting that we can pray for miracles and we can feel the, in the heat of the moment the desperation for a miracle. And then as time passes by, when that miracle comes to, to pass, it doesn't seem like it's important because our natural mind and our natural emotions are connected in this life. They're connected in the continual problems and the things that are constantly bombarding our, our minds and wills and emotions. I appreciate what Shelley said today about not watching TV and how just she quit watching and hearing the negative news and how that affects a major change of just not even feeling um, uh, disturbed anymore because she wasn't constantly hearing the negative messages. You know, and I'm not telling you quit throw your TV away, but it's just we are in this constant bombardment to our faith. I was thinking about uh, how I started this year. You know, we started our, our two weeks of fasting or, and we um, were praying about major needs and things that were going on and we felt the desperation. My, my back started going. I think my back went out about five times in the last two and a half months. And uh, even last week, I was bringing a thing of water over here for the cafe, and my back went out again Thursday. I was so irritated. I was walking around praying. I'm glad no one was here. Maybe it was Friday or Thursday, one of those days early before the, the intercessors came. And I just say, no, no. You know, it takes a lot for me to start showing any emotions that are like, I am tired of something. But I was ticked, you know. And I have to say, I've been praying uh, for, my, for my back and, uh, and then... After my back, you know, usually when you throw something out, something else gets affected. And for like two and a half months, I could barely, you see me limping around. My knee was so out and, and my leg, I couldn't even bend my, my, my leg back. And um, when every so often when I'm walking, I also feel just as totally loose as like my le leg was going to co completely give away, like something in my knee was not holding together. And so for two and a half months, I, I prayed. Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have. And I'm not trying to stir up this great old faith thing, but just what God's word says. 
If he says he wants to heal us, he wants to restore us, then I'm believing that God wants to do what he says, no matter what my physical things say, because I'm in this relationship and connection with God. So I've been thanking God. God, thank you that my knee hurts. Thank you that my leg hurts, but thank you that you are going to heal it. You are restoring it. So in this last week, it's gotten better and better. It barely even hurts anymore, and I'm just starting to walk better. But then here I'm, my back is messing with me. And so we're in this constant battle to our faith and to what we're praying for. But don't give up. I'm standing here today. I walked to church today, and I barely had a limp. And I'm thinking, why aren't I really happy? Why am I not really rejoicing in, in seeing God do something for me that I really have contended with? I've really been in a lot of pain. It's because there's more things. You know, what he's doing inside my heart right now, what he's doing about showing me past hurts and things that have happened. You know, maybe you saw your parents do something. Maybe you have images of marriage or uh, just some things given to you, and you have this section of your life that it's disconnected from God, and it's a place that you hold because it's your experience. It is these things that God wants to bring healing, and he wants to process out of you. But you have to almost like let him in. You've got to experience that anger, the roots of those causes of those emotions so that you can uh, let God have them. And I tell you, when, when I saw this section of my life of this anger the other day, I was, there was a part of me that rose up and said, well, I'm not going to give this to you, God. Why should you? For my whole life, I've, I've protected myself. And it, the way it was is God keeps triggering rejection and the emotion of, of not feeling like I was important. Uh, my dad not giving me words. And, and, when, and so you can either be rejected um, with words or you can be rejected when people won't give you words. And I think having people not give you words is more painful and rejecting than ever. And so I got triggered uh, by someone just having some boundaries and they, they wanted just a process, some time to, uh, to work through some stuff. And I took it personally and, and it triggered it triggered my, my place of rejection, this place of feeling pain and feeling shut down and not being validated. And that place of codependency, I, I, how I was my whole life, where I was always more worried about what people thought about me or how they felt about me or if they were angry at me. And I was always trying to make sure everything was okay. And I never considered my own self. And so maybe where you are in your family, maybe you, you, in your marriage and things have been bad and maybe both you and your husband are Christian and you feel like there's so much stuff that's unresolved and you're just so ticked off and fed up with it all. I'm here to tell you God is going to do a miracle in your family. God's going to do a miracle if you will just keep going through this material, keep going to your care groups, let God keep helping you backtrack and find those places where anger has its root and those emotions that have not been processed need to be discovered. <clears throat> I want to read them. This is, again, a little uh, appetizer. But before I get to my message, I want to read um, a familiar passage. It's a few verses in um, Jeremiah 18. And Nodor was talking about the word of the Lord. And it's interesting that Jeremiah is hearing the word of the Lord. He's getting a prophetic utterance that's coming right to him. And God is telling him really about what's going on in our lives. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then he went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in his hand, in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel and as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, and I feel like God would say, O house of Hillside, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, look, 
As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel, O church of hillside. That, you know, we can get discouraged in the length of time it's taking. We can get discouraged when we begin to see the emotions that have not been healed. And God is saying, I am making and doing a new thing in your life. You are on my wheel and I am going to restore and I'm going to heal what you feel like you've lost. What you feel like is is hopeless. What you think is not going to change. God is the God who has you on the wheel. And God promises that he's going to do a new thing. He's going to remake you know, the places where you've had loss, the places where it hasn't worked out like you thought. God has promised that he's wanting to do a new thing and he, he's not done with you. He's not done with your life. And I think of different people. I think of Johanna. Uh, I mean, some people have gone through, Johanna and Saul, their family, what they've gone through. Some people go through such horrendous things and, and they keep following the Lord. And uh, uh, something, Terry, when you, what you said today, I felt like it's really key, key about believing God, asking for miracles, trusting God, even when the miracles aren't showing up or a contradictory circumstance happens. I think about what you said, the main thing about trust, that things happen to us in our life and we give up our trust. And, and we get into this place where we don't see it, so we go into that passive place and we don't believe that God wants to do something. We don't keep asking and knocking and seeking. We don't uh, do like David where it says he began to inquire of the Lord. He began to ask, what is going on? I've endured this situation for a long time. Uh, and you just turn your focus and you don't continually just get caught up in the busyness of, of life and uh, just going down the road with regret and your walls with God. But you begin to say, you know what? Give me some words of understanding. I need to know what is going on. God, you need to speak to me. I'm in this situation. What are you trying to do? Give me some kind of, a, some kind of words that let me know that I, I, I'm in this process and you're not done and I'm not alone or I'm not off track. Sometimes we don't see things happening. We just wonder, am I just away from you, God? Has deception slip, slipped in and am I just off on my own? But God, bring me back to this place where I know who you are and, and, and what you said to me and you're going to speak to me again. In the world, one and one equals two. The world struggles with faith in Christ. And the circumstances that we go through challenge our faith. The effects and uh, the powerlessness we feel makes us just go passive. I think about Jairus' daughter. While Jesus was going to, uh, to bring healing to Jairus, because Jairus said, you know, hey, come to my house, my daughter's sick. That news came that said that she had died. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark 5.36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe. I think God would say that to each one of us today. Only believe. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at your feeling. Don't measure me by your past or what you've heard about me or what you've seen portrayed. There are Christians misrepresenting uh, Christianity to people because they're broken. They're not all fixed. They're, sometimes we just have areas where we, we don't got it together yet. We're missing it. And yet we, our testimony and our life experience has really given a negative message to people. And some people are saying, if that's Christianity, I don't want any part of it. And they use that as an excuse for them not to come into the reality of, I'm going to die someday. And really, Jesus is the best person in history who ever said, this is the way out, and I'm offering it to you. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. And 
Each one of us might have our own battle in what trust really is and what does that mean to us? How is God asking me to trust him? And again, it's going to dialogue or bring it into a, a place where we have to communicate more with God because maybe there's attitudes or disappointments or something that causes us to draw back. And we've been saying the last few weeks, God is comfortable with, your, with our anger. He, he welcomes it. I love uh, just, I was reading a book the other day and it was talking about um, how 25% of the Psalms have to do with people's anger and people's negative emotions and it's being dialogued with God. In fact, I was talking to a couple of people this week and talking about how in the Psalms, you hear David starts out with, you know, he starts out with this complaint and uh, you think if God was very sensitive, he would have shut his ears and walked away from David, but he lets David, he lets David pour out the negative emotion. He lets David pour out what his eye sees about the difficulties and the problems. And hey, David was a man of faith. David's the one that killed the Goliath. So, you know, it's not like David arrived, but even in the process of time, David had to communicate the negative that was going on in his life and the things he needed to process. But by the end of each one of those psalms, the next time you read those psalms where you see that complaint, watch at the end. At the end, there's a turnaround. After he's taken out the trash and after he's talked to God about his true anger and his true feelings, then he begins to, to, to talk in faith. He begins to cry out of his spirit. There's a different, there's a different voice coming out because it's the voice of faith. It's a voice of that part of that connection he has with God in this relationship he's built through fighting the giants and uh, facing controversy and facing the negative circumstances that he begins to confess on this other part that, hey, you know, God is really there. He really is the one that's going to do something good for me. I was also looking at the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, 33 through 42. The believers of the heroes of faith were partakers in miracles. And this is verse 33, in, uh, starting with ver- chapter 11. Believers through faith subdued kingdoms. Look at Joshua, what he did. They worked righteousness and obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. Again, look at Daniel. Quenched the violence of fire. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel, you know, uh, saw the, the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. Escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in battle. Turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women receive their dead raised to life. What about those uh, circumstances with Elijah and Elijah? What about Martha and Mary seeing their brother raised to de- from the dead? Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Wow, these people obviously under, came to an understanding that the trials and tribulations that they went through, they realized, I'm, I'm going to get more credit. There's going to be something greater for me if I don't receive deliverance now and I press through and die in faith. I don't know if any of us have that yet where we're going to say, you know what, uh, God, I want more tribulations. I want more trials so that I can have a greater resurrection. Anybody praying like that? Okay. I already feel embarrassed because I should be praying like that. Not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. 
and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Last week I talked, began talking just a little bit about God being our provider. And I told you about, you know, one of his names. One of the Old Testament names of God is Jehovah Jireh. And that is translated, the Lord will provide. And it comes from Genesis twenty-two fourteen, And that's that whole thing where, you know, finally... Abraham was going to have to offer his son. God said, okay, take your promised son and go and sacrifice him. And it was a test of his faith that he would trust God. But in the place where he was ready, you know, he was going to take that knife and, and kill his son, that God provided the ram in that place. And I want to propose to you today that God has the answers that you need and he has the things that you need provided for you because he still is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And whatever situation you're facing, whatever lack or want you're in, I want you to lift your eyes and lift your prayers to the Lord and pray. Doesn't matter if people you know have had the same need and they haven't had it made. Maybe even other Christians have had the same desire and have not had it happen. You are a person of faith. God has deposited in you when you accepted Christ a measure of faith. He's given you all the faith you need, but he wants you to keep using it. He wants you to keep stretching it. He wants you to keep asking for those impossible things because our God is a God who does miraculous things. He is the God of the impossible. He is the God who is provider. That was just the beginning of my message. Now, the miracle provision. Here's our key verse today. It's Matthew 6, 26. Jesus is, is he's the one that made the statement. And I think he would say it to us today. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Excuse me, God. I have been praying against my pigeons on my house for like four or five years. Every day I come out with the airsoft and shoot to scare them away. I'm a law-abiding citizen, and I don't take my BB gun because I can't use it in the city and just take them out. <laughs> and I don't know, but I know God is doing a great job of feeding them because the, the mess they leave in my house, in my yard, is terrible. But every day we look around, we see God providing. Those, those birds are, I mean, they don't have a brain because I think the first time I scared them away with my airsoft, they would be gone, right? No. My, in fact, my neighbor said, what are you doing? I use my airsoft. She goes, hey, I need to get me one of those. I go, but you know what? Their brain is so small, they don't remember that they just had little, little things bouncing off them, and they come right back an hour later. But God feeds them. They're not worrying about anything. They're not uh, striving to accomplish anything, and they're receiving. You guys, I don't know about you know it or not, but you're more valuable than those pigeons at my house. You are more valuable. God cares about the things that you care about. He's moved about the things that move you. The things that distract you from your worship and from your being able to be at peace and at rest in Him. It bothers Him. It bothers Him that those things bother you. Miracles come in moments. Be ready and willing. I want to talk about the widow who gave her offering. Last week I talked about, you know, Elijah and the widow and her son. Remember, she had a little bit of oil. She had a little bit of bisquick left, and she was going to make a couple of biscuits, and that was going to be it. And it says, you know, in that story, it, it, Elijah's told um, that, you know, God says, I have prepared a widow 
to take care of you. Never anywhere in the Bible does it say that the widow heard from God, but there was something in that widow that had a trust. There must have been a deep trust in God for her to give her last, to make her last biscuits for this prophet. There was a deep faith in her. And so I, I mentioned last week also that interesting, God didn't take some wealthy person, but he did a double miracle. He took someone who didn't have anything. He took a poor widow and he used her to multiply so that he could feed her and her son and Elijah. And so this is that way this whole story is starting, that this woman also had want. And this is about the widow's offering. And it's about uh, that lady who was at the temple, and she had two copper coins. She didn't have much. But listen to this story. Luke 21, I'm reading out an Amplified Bible. Looking up, Jesus saw the rich people putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a poor widow putting in two mites, two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Here's another key verse for today. For they all gave out of their abundance, their surplus. But she has contributed out of her lack and her want, putting in all that she had on which to live. This hit me so hard because recently there's been some changes in our finances and what's coming in. And it kind of really triggered me back to growing up. And I, I'm, I can recycle. I can pinch pennies because that's the way I grew up, not having. But I felt like I was changing in my whole way I looked at finances. I feel like God really spoke to me in this uh, picture that he's talking about this lady, that out of her want, she gave what she didn't have. And I felt like God was showing me because in my mind, I'm already thinking like, okay, I have to cut back here. I have to cut back there. And I, I found, even running through my own mind, cutting back on my giving, not my tithing, but I give more than I tithe. And um, God has blessed me incredibly, but it's always been that tithe is automatically his. That's seed he's given me to sow back, and that's automatically his, but always increasing my giving, giving more. And I had the temptation in my mind to think, okay, I'll have to cut back a little bit of my giving. And I thought, wait a second, what are you doing? It's not, again, how we go into this. When we see any kind of a lack or want coming on, we start cutting back. We don't even assume that God, what does God want to do? And remember, God does more when we have less than he does in those times when we have everything. I keep saying this to you. In the time of Elisha, Elisha the prophet, God did more miracles during the drought than he did when times were good in Israel. And when we face lack, when we face want, when we face any kind of negative situation, God is wanting us to turn our faith towards him and expect and believe and look and see how God is going to supply what he wants. Want is a great need or lack. The lady was in poverty. She was deficient with finances. Um, like I said, when we, and when we're in need, we tend to withhold. We, to, we start cutting corners. We start uh, recycling different things that we go through, you know, pay cuts or uh, the economy, the way the economy is, the way gas is, is, is uh, uh, hitting our, our wallets. Our job is not our source. Even the source of income that we have, it's not our source. Even, if, if, even when things started to happen, uh, major problems even came up in areas where we have certain money coming in. There was, there was like... Uh, great needs coming in that might even affect more of how we get our income. So it's, it's really interesting that when God does things, he's really 
really think of it. Anything that comes into your life, God is really taking it as an opportunity to prove himself more to you and to get you excited to see God more in your life. Again, this widow had great trust in God. She, she was already living in faith. Think of her. She was, where was she? She was in church. She was there regularly giving all she had. You know, she didn't have enough money, so it wasn't worrying her that, that that two pennies, I mean, that two pennies wouldn't have done any good for her needs anyway, but she had this incredible faith with God, so she gave it to God. She po- caused herself to be so destitute, so dependent upon him that she wasn't thinking about, I need to really hang on to these two pennies. And I think God's trying to get this, uh, get us to wrap around our head that especially when we're in lack, to trust him more. Life is, a, uh, prog- is progress from want to want, not from enjoyment to enjoyment. Do you feel like that's really true? Do we go from just joy to joy? No, it's usually we go from one want, one need to the next. I would bet that the widow believed God would supply more than she gave because her need was more than she had. You know, uh, I also came across a verse in Amos. And, you know, it's one of those seasons where God had been really working with his people a long time. And here's what uh, Amos said. I also gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. Again, God has used times in history where uh, people or he took his people through lack or times where there was difficulty because he was trying to get them to turn all of their heart and all their expectation on God so that he might be the one who supplies. I want to talk about the catch of fish, a miracle of provision. And here's a little bit of a light humor from the Wisconsin Fishing Guide, especially since we're talking about fishermen. Jim, don't get offended. The only thing that casts doubt on the miracles of Jesus is that they were all witnessed by fishermen. Thank you for getting it. You know, fishermen tend to stretch their stories. Thank you, Jerry Munzer. I knew Jerry as a supervisor. He's sharp. No wonder he's in politics. And here's a fisherman's nightmare. We have all toiled all night and caught nothing. This is Luke 5, 1 through 10. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood up by the lake Genezaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. You know how quick the story, I love how quick the story is. You know, there's, there's a volume in this one line where Jesus got him to go out and he's preaching to the multitudes. But so quickly... He gets back to taking care of Simon and the other fishermen's needs. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He's he's already telling them to have a bigger expectation than he has. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. How many times have you maybe even said that to God? God's kind of even prompting. You may not even recognize the prompting that God's doing, and you're always dis- already disqualifying because of the need you have. You're already saying, it's not going to work, God. Do you ever, anybody else do that? It's not going to work, God. Nevertheless, at your word, at least, you know, Peter, he must have got something from that message that day because he goes, at your word, I will let down the net. Listen to already, he's going to let down one net. Didn't Jesus tell him to let down nets? He, he's going to let down one net. 
He's got a little bit of faith there. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the boat, in the other boat, to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at, his, at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Again, in this time when we're asking for miracles, it means you have to do things too. There's little things you'll do. If you talk to Dora, there's things that she did when uh, she began to face, her and Eddie began to face lack in their life. There are, are resources she went looking for. And I think our, our um, I think the thing that kind of messes up is it, when we get the attitude of saying, I've been there, I've done that. You know, when circumstances repeat themselves, when need repeats itself, to have an old mindset and not have an expectation that, you know what, God cares about me right now. Maybe, maybe uh, in the area of relationships, you haven't, you're, you're kind of been waiting for God and he hasn't come through and now you're going after a person that's really your will and really it's going to bring you more problems than you think. And you really need to wait and trust for the right person. Miracles demand a life change. I love the final response in the, the end of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. That God does miracles in our life, but really he has another agenda. He is looking to so persuade us that we will continue to have a greater buy-in to being followers of Christ. He's going to take care of our needs, but it's like the Titanic. This planet is starting to reek and creak and shake and rattle. It says that the earth is going to reel and shake like a drunken man. The closer we get to the end, he's going to shake everything that can be shaken. When the things that begin to be poured out in revelations, this earth is not going to be worth saving. The ship is going down. But we, don't, we must not worry. We, we, we shouldn't even be worried about having an earthquake. We should keep praying and believing God. We should keep taking every opportunity we can to share with someone about Jesus Christ, especially more around us. There are people who are more fearful. I, I had a half a dozen people just talk to me the last few days just, to, just about being afraid of earthquakes. They're all prophesying faith. We're going to have the big one. All I know is the Bible says in the last day there's going to be earthquakes in different places. Two weeks ago was Arkansas, and they didn't expect to ever have an earthquake. Instead of believing for the naked, why don't we believe God is going to do something? And if we do have an earthquake, that God is somehow is going to supply and help us to help other people. But we should have attitudes of faith. We should not accept gloom and doom and the negative of what we see, but we should be proactive, praying and asking for God's protection, praying and asking over our country that there would be repentance and, and God would have mercy on us because we really deserve judgment. But you know what? We're in the season of grace. Jesus said, I come not to judge the world. I come to die. He came to die for our sins. He came. We're in this grace period. There's a grace period on us right now. When revelation starts being poured out, when those last three and a half years of tribulation be poured out, that's the wrath of God. But right now we're in grace. Why don't we believe for the best? Why don't we take advantage instead of withdrawing in fear? Why don't we stretch out in faith? I want to skip uh, the miracles of tax provision. You all know that story that Jesus had his tax provided by a fish. I want to go to uh, 
that ninth, section nine, another miracle catch. You know, Jesus had gone to the cross. His disciples had all left him. He was beaten and crucified. And the fishermen had gone back to their job. Watch how God draws them back to himself. John 21, two through six, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Debedee, Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Peter is repeating his same pattern. He was called to start catching men. He's gone back to his old job and he's at the same place again. He's not catching any fish. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and they were not able to draw it because of the multitude of the fish. Peter's self-will, I'm going fishing. Peter had left. He thought he had failed Jesus. You know, Jesus was gone. The person he's supposed to be ministering for and sharing the good news about is not there. So he went back to that old foundation of catching fish. Are you fishing where you're supposed to be fishing? You know, there's a place of provision that God has for you, but you really have to be there. You have to throw that net where God tells you to throw your net, not necessarily what you're seeing other people do. Are you doing what Jesus is asking you to do? They caught nothing. Are you catching nothing in your own efforts? God has a catch for you. God has provision for you. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. God knows what we need of, and he said he would supply all of our need. He knows how to get what you need to you. It was obedience that brought that catch of fish. You know, when God does miracles, again, it's to change the course of our lives. A return to Jesus is a return to his blessing. Jesus tells Peter in John 21, 15, feed my lambs. In verse 16, he says, tend my sheep. In verse 17, he says, feed my sheep. In verse 19, he says to Peter, follow me. Jesus got very specific to to, uh, Peter again in verse 22. You follow me. A miracle is an event which creates faith. That is the purpose and nature of miracles. Frauds deceive. An event which creates faith does not deceive. Therefore, it is not a fraud, but a miracle. Will you stand with me? In these days when there is so much insecurity and things to be fearful about, aren't you glad that we have Jesus who is real? Aren't you glad you have a faith that is constantly being stretched and and, uh, growing because... We apply it. As we close, if you need prayer or you know, you're know you in something that you just want someone to agree with you, we have people that will pray with you. But in these closing moments, I want you to just get into worship. Uh, surrender those problems. Surrender those things that you quit praying about. Ask God for forgiveness that you're not believing in him like you're supposed to. And turn your requests and your desires, turn your want over to him and ask him to meet those needs.